Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to it. This is the Rocky Top Rewind here on a Sunday evening. I'm Eric Kane. That is Brent Hubs, VolQuest.com. And of course, right here on our YouTube page, just search VolQuest. Like this video, helping to get to 500 likes. Would appreciate that a whole lot. You know, it's called the Rocky Top Rewind, Brent, but not a whole lot of Tennessee news over the weekend, obviously, with the off week, but plenty of action around college football, around the SEC, and that LSU game is uh, looming large here coming up this weekend. Got a fun show coming up uh, real quick. Jonathan Hefney, former Vol 815. We'll have Shea Dixon of the Bengal Tiger. That's the On3 uh, affiliates uh, for LSU of On3. He's going to join us at 830 and then Austin Price at 845. Going to be a fun hour and plenty to talk about, Brent Hubs. Yeah, it's check-writing season in college football, right? But for those who are succeeding and winning, the ADs are preparing to write checks for extensions and raises because that's what you got to do. And it's an early buyout check-writing season with five Power 5 coaches now having been fired. Paul Chris, the latest from Wisconsin. Um, uh, Colorado making a change today as well. Of course, Nebraska's already made a change. Uh, lots of early movement. Not a lot of patience going on in, in the world of college athletics and college football right now. But certainly an interesting Saturday and a really interesting Saturday in the SEC we don't know about Bryce Young. Doesn't appear like that's going to be anything necessarily long term. I was as was speculated by all the national people and, and CBS on Saturday in the middle of that game. But interesting game for Alabama, uh, and then obviously that's two weeks in a row for Georgia where they haven't had it. Now I think they can mm -hmm. get it back. I'm not one of those who thinks Georgia has a mountain of problems, but they did not have their edge against Missouri, and they didn't have it against Kent State either. Uh, and then Ole Miss finding a way to win at home against Kentucky. Um, a rallying win for LSU and all kinds of problems at Texas A&M, it, it looks like. So pretty interesting uh, overall weekend in the SEC and a pretty interesting weekend around college football. I didn't see Georgia Tech winning at Pittsburgh last night. So um, it, it's just it's week to week. I mean, it's, Kirby Smart's right. It's not easy to win. I don't care where you're at. And, and we certainly saw that this weekend. No, I mean, it's, it's why we love college football. Um, yeah, I said earlier today on, on a show I joined, uh, you got to embrace the weird, you know, as college football fans, you love the weirdness. Now, when your team's out there playing, you can't just be totally stress-free, but you know, for, for Vol fans, it was just a, a stress-free weekend of watching college football get a little weird at times. And, and that's what it's all about. You mentioned some of the coaches who are no longer, you know, at the helm anymore as college football has no patience at the time of this, you know, Brian Harson is still at the helm over at Auburn, uh, you know, blowing a, another double digit lead. Of course, Tennessee's next opponent is LSU. I know we're going to get into that here some tonight and, of course, throughout the week. But uh, leading 17 to nothing at one point, LSU does come back. And um, uh, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, kind of banged his knee, it sounds like, from Brian Kelly on another knee and uh, looks like he's going to be okay. I would, you know, as of right now, and we'll get some more from Shea Dixon, you know, later in the show, but looks like he was probably going to be available. But nonetheless, that's just one of those games where, 
Looked like Auburn was in control. Looked like they had that game, and then LSU came back and is going to be uh, obviously a formidable opponent for Tennessee this weekend. Yeah, no doubt. A couple of interesting decisions, I thought, that Auburn game that a lot of Auburn fans are questioning today. Brian Harson going forward on fourth and ten. And when his defense was playing really well, it didn't pin LSU back. So that was kind of bizarre uh, on, on that decision there. I thought the trick play in the red zone was probably unnecessary uh, with the way the offense was playing. Uh, you can second guess a lot of things, but those were two big plays in the game. And then you look at Missouri, false start at the one-yard line, cost them four points, and then they gave up the lead. And, and when they gave up the lead, they gave up the game. They were done. Uh, three bizarre play calls on that series with four minutes to go when they had run it so well against Georgia. To drop back and throw it three times with a young quarterback uh, felt like a little bit of a give up or a little bit of a panic move, I guess is the better way uh, to, to say. Um, so, Again, it's college. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. it's college football. I mean, <laughs> Kentucky's got to win, but but Will Levis doesn't let the offense get set, Eric. And, and as a result, Kentucky loses. I know he fumbled on the next play, but but if he waits a half a second on Barryon Brown to line up, that's a touchdown, and that's all basically a walk off for Kentucky. They're in the top ten today, undefeated, and it's and it's Ole Miss who takes a tumble. So. Um, one to two, three plays are the difference in a ball game, and that's the challenge that coaches are dealing with every week to try to get their teams to, to not have those mess-ups and to be at their best each and every week, which is not easy to do. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, a couple of costly mistakes there by Will Levis, you know, late in that football game to where you're exactly right. I mean, I think Kentucky was ranked, what, seventh in the AP last week, and if they're able to hold on there, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're probably moving up a spot or so, and Ole Miss is taking a tumble, but now it's – you know, with the latest AP Week Six college football rankings coming out, Alabama replaces Georgia at the top, and and I'm with you. I'm I'm not worried about Georgia. I think that they're gonna they're gonna be able to to come back. There's just too much talent, too much depth, um, a lot of so much experience on that roster. But they have not looked good the last two weeks, no doubt about it. But it's Alabama one, Georgia two. Now Tennessee is the third highest ranked team in the SEC, staying put at number eight. You have Ole Miss climbing to number nine, Kentucky falling back to number thirteen. Mississippi State and LSU get in at 23 and 25, respectively. But I uh, watched a lot of that old Miss-Kentucky game, the mistakes by Levis there at the end. Um, missed some because of the engagement I had Saturday night of Georgia-Missouri. I had to go back and get caught up on that. But one game that we haven't spoke on yet, Alabama and Arkansas. Now, Arkansas, two years in a row, it's crept inside the top 10. It's a solid football program. I think Sam Pittman's doing a great job. But it comes crashing back down to reality really quickly. I think Alabama showed you that, of course, your your quarterback, your Heisman Trophy winning guy and Bryce Young goes out, you roll in the next guy, and they expand on that lead late in that football game, and they run out of there, uh, 49-26. I think Alabama's going to be okay, but again, just another example of depth and experience behind some of those starters that kind of prevail in the end, and I think Alabama will be okay, much like Georgia will as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Arkansas's lack of speed on defense showed up, I thought, big time. And, and not just in the long runs. I know everybody's going to say, well, yeah, I mean, Jameer Gibbs went 70-plus yards twice you know, in the fourth quarter to put that game away. But uh, when Bryce Young was on the field, I mean, Arkansas secondary had a hard time uh, keeping guys in front of them. Uh, their linebackers had a hard time in some coverage stuff. And uh, I, I thought their, their lack of speed defensively reared its head in, in that game. Um so, you know, and, and I think Alabama's a team that's getting better. I think those young receivers are starting to figure it out. You know, we had Jesse Simonton on the Rocky Top Rewind three weeks ago, I guess, four weeks ago. One of the things we were talking about with Alabama is 
did not feel like they had Waddle and 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 those types of players, Jerry Judy and all those things. I'm not sure that they've got Jamison Williams, all those guys. I keep rattling them off. I'm not sure that they've got uh, one of those right now, but those young guys are starting to get better and are starting Mm -hmm. to emerge. And um, I I think that's not good news for for teams on their schedule down the stretch, provided that Bryce Young gets back. So um, I think they're going to be okay. I think Georgia's going to be okay. But, I mean, hey, hats off to Missouri for for showing up. Yeah, Uh, Their defensive line played really well. That was – I mean – can they put it together and build off that? Or is that one of those deals that breaks their heart? You know, we're going to find out kind of moving forward, but nobody saw that performance from Missouri coming And And I give Kirby smart credit. He said, post game, we got knocked in the mouth I and mean, we got hit in the mouth and weren't really ready for it. And uh, I, I think that's, that's a credit to, to what Missouri's got in their defensive front. Um, I, I thought Missouri was not very good, Eric. And, and I still don't think they're really good, but they played, they competed in a way that I did not expect them to compete against Georgia on Saturday night. I just think it goes to show you that, you know, I know that movie every, any given Sunday or whatever, but like on every Saturday, especially at this level of football in the Southeastern conference, if you don't come ready to play, I mean, there there are teams with players who are good enough, who are there for a reason that will do exactly that. They will punch you in the mouth. And if you make another mistake, maybe they will win that football game again, Georgia able to win because they have better players they have more depth. They made less mistakes in the end, and that's what good teams do. I just can't get over, and I know it's one year to the next, but, man, Missouri's defense was so, so bad last year. I mean, historically, was just so awful. And, again, they're not they're not world beaters or anything, but the, the turnaround there, especially in a game like this, is just so impressive there for Eli Drinkwitz. Um, Mississippi I State. I tell you what's interesting about Missouri right quick before we get to Mississippi State their safeties were coming downhill so hard last night in that game in the run game that it, I'm really surprised Georgia couldn't take more advantage of it throwing over their head. They've got Georgia's got to get some receivers healthy because mm-hmm. they are not a stretch the field team right now at the receiver position. Uh, obviously, Brock Bowers is a really good player, but you go and look at that Missouri team, man. Those safeties were downhill, just flying to the football with really no regard for anything over their head, uh, which was a little bit surprising that Georgia couldn't throw it any more over their head than what they did. And and so we'll see where Georgia's passing game developed. Stetson Bennett clearly did not have his best night uh, last night, but neither did Jimbo Fisher, right? That's where you're going next? Yeah, yeah. And I want to get to some questions here in just a moment before we get to uh, Jonathan Hefney, but uh, Mississippi State, 42-24 over Texas A&M. And, I mean, A&M's got their struggles. They can't figure out a quarterback. Obviously rolled with Max Johnson a little bit. But I, I think it's just another example of you have a veteran-led team with a quarterback that's played a lot and is is a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. If you got a quarterback in this league, you can win a lot of football games. Uh, Texas A&M from top to bottom is a better football team than Mississippi State. But State rolled them. And, and again, Will Rogers, 350 yards passing, you know, three, four touchdowns. Just had a typical Will, Will Rogers type game. You know, I, I could see Mississippi State winning that game. Of course, I believe they opened as, as favorites at home in the football game, but I didn't see them winning by nearly 20 points. No, I didn't either. And again, I mean, if you could score a little bit, AM's in trouble because they can't score right now, which puts a lot of pressure on them. How about the shade thrown um, by a couple of coaches in the state of Mississippi this week? We'll get to Lane Kiffin's shade in a second, but, but how about the shade? That, that my man, the, the pirate Mike Leach threw out there uh, after the game when asked why he had so much success against Jimbo Fisher. And he said, basically, it's not anything I've done. 
they line up and rush three all the time. You know what they're going to do every play. It's not real hard. Um, I mean, what what a what a slap at, at the end of that game uh, or in the postgame press conference uh, by, by Mike Leach. And, of course, Lane Kiffin fires off with praise for his defense by uh, reminding everyone that, that they shut down the top pick of the draft and uh, <laughs> saying on television afterwards um, – you know, that, they, you know, they blitz because that, that's, you know, they said they welcomed the blitz. So they went ahead and blitzed and saw what happened. So clearly some things the offensive coordinator said from Kentucky, um, Ole Miss used to their advantage or used to their locker room fodder uh, on defense. And ultimately it paid off to them. But, uh, you know, with State, you're good enough at quarterback. They're salty on defense. Uh, I was a little surprised State gave the game away to LSU the way they did. I, I thought, that was, a, you know, a game that I thought Mississippi State could win. But when you look at the SEC overall, you look at the East, and you think right now that Georgia and Tennessee are probably, you know, Georgia's one, Tennessee's probably two uh, with where things are. But it's a little more muddled in the East because of better quarterback play, right? I mean, you, you look at Florida. If Anthony Richardson plays well, they can beat some teams. Uh, if Will Levis plays well, Kentucky can beat teams. Mm-hmm. Both of them are talented enough to beat teams. You flip it over to the West, and boy, there's just not a lot of great quarterback play going coming out of the West right now. You got Bryce Young, Alabama's clearly the best team. After that, I mean, it, 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 I don't is Mississippi State the best team? Is Ole Miss the second best team? Who's number two in the West? And, and it's hard to figure out because you've got some offenses in the Western Division that. Um, just doesn't have great quarterback play and it, it limits them. I don't think I don't think KJ Jefferson's playing very well for Arkansas right now. Um, I, I thought Jackson Dart and Ole Miss's quarterback play was spotty. It was pretty good at times, and at other times it, it wasn't much. Um, obviously, Auburn's got quarterback issues. LSU's still trying to figure it out. Texas A&M cannot figure it out. Rodgers is the second best quarterback in the West, but I don't know that Mississippi State's the second best team in the West. Yeah, I would I would agree with that as well. I mean, KJ Jefferson's not playing to his best, but he's obviously, you know, up there in terms of quarterback play in the SEC and this in particular the SEC West. Um, but I mean, you got I mean, who's who's the quarterback of the week at Auburn? You know, Ashford threw for over 300 yards against Missouri or against uh, LSU. But um, miss, but missed. I mean, missed a half dozen really yeah. easy throws. Uh, and Jefferson, I thought missed some throws. I, I just I don't think he's played particularly well. I mean, it looks like he's not adjusted to life without Burks and some of those big play guys that they've had a little bit at, at Arkansas, which kind of surprises me a, a little bit there. The, the Rogers kid is, I mean, in that system with, with Mike Leach, it, it, you know, it seems to work very well for him. A&M's got no answer for what they're doing um, at the quarterback position. And then, you know, I, I think Daniels is the guy at LSU. If he stays healthy, it's the question is just how healthy is he? Yeah. And again, when you, when you bang knees like that, I mean, that's, that's tough. I mean, that's that's really challenging. Um, I do want to go to a question here before we get into Jonathan Hefney from Chris Joyner uh, saying that Tennessee needs to play press man coverage with the corners, bring the house after the quarterback all night long, saying Daniels won't beat you with his arm. He doesn't have a lot of time. Uh, that's something that you asked Josh Heupel and something we've we've continued to kind of bring up in some press conferences on Monday about you know, bailing out the cornerback, playing a lot of cushion back there. Do you follow the script of what Tennessee did against Pitt this week with LSU? And, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this throughout the week. But, you know, tighten things up, bring the house, make them beat you with your arm because Daniels, he obviously can run, but he's not an Anthony Richardson-type threat, in, in my opinion. No, I mean, I don't think he's that good of a runner, but you better play in your run lanes because if you if you let one bust out on you, I mean, he did it to Florida State to get him in a position – 
to have a chance to, to win that football game. Um, he, he made enough plays with his feet against Auburn to move the sticks and, and to keep drives alive. So uh, I, I think that you got to come, you got to come get him and put some pressure on him and try to collapse that pocket down, but you better squeeze him and not let him get outside um, and, 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 you know, give up contained because he will make you pay with, with, with his legs. Um, now, Nussmeyer, if, if that's the direction they go, I think that's the straight up pit plan, right? I mean, I, I think yeah. you're coming after him because he's not moving. Um, but if, if it's Daniels, you got to at least respect his wheels because he will make you pay with them. I don't, I don't think he wants to run a, a ton, but I think he knows that when they got to have a play, he's got to go run it. And, and, and he's not afraid to do that. Well, a guy that has uh, played a whole lot of different uh, techniques in the secondary, blitzing, staying back, press man, whatever whatever the case may be, at Tennessee, the National Football League, and the CFL, Jonathan Hefney, former Vol, is going to join us next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Back into the Rocky Top Rewind here at VolQuest. Every Sunday night from 8 until 9, it's a live YouTube show where, of course, you can interact with us, myself, Eric Kane, Brent Hubs, and now we bring on a former Vol, Jonathan Hefney. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining the show. What's going on? How y'all doing? Appreciate y'all having me. Hey, hey by the well, way, man, appreciate you being here. And just right out of the gate, you were at the Florida game. You, you were home, seeing that crowd, seeing that win. How great was it to be back inside Neyland Stadium? Um, that was electric, man. I um, <laughs> I really had no words for it, uh, just because we was around all the guys and everybody planned to come in that weekend, and we just wanted to show love. And man, I had a ball, man. That was like my second time coming back to Knoxville. I was at the first game, but I ain't really moving around as much. But to be there, man, the crowd, the atmosphere, how the guys played, man, they fought their ass off. And um, I mean, I was I was proud of them, man. You know, I'm all I bleed orange. I got the tattoo on me, so. You know, anything they do, you know, for years I've been screaming Tennessee. So I'm just happy to see them on top. And for the record, Jonathan Hefney is the pride of Rock Hill, South Carolina, not Chris Lowe, for those wondering back at home. Right, Jay Hefney? Hey, listen, man, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. What What, what is your take uh, on the Tennessee defense? You mentioned you've seen them play twice. Uh, you're a secondary guy. You've you, you, you played man. You've played zone. you played a bunch of different ways. 
what do you see particularly out of Tennessee's corners? Uh, what would you like to see more out of Tennessee's corners moving forward for this defense to grow? I mean, I think I think the secondary is solid, man. They got they got some big corners out there that's really making plays. But like I love, you know, I was a big fan of the defensive line, and that defensive line looked really good to me, man. Some of them guys coming off the edge, they're making big plays. And I think that helps out the secondary. So, you know, if we can keep that going, we can keep the linebackers, you know, involved and engaged and, and keep them flying to the ball. I, th I think the secondary would be good because it all starts up front. You know, for that, um, to follow up on that, Jonathan, I mean, when you have – and you played with some good defensive lines during your time at Tennessee, mm -hmm. how much more aggressive did you feel like you could play in, in terms of not maybe worried about – a long developing route or even a, even a deep ball if you knew a blitz was coming or whatever Chief had dialed up? Did it allow you to play more aggressive when you had a defensive line you believed in in front of you? Um, I mean, I think it, it helps because, you know, the ball has to come out fast, especially if we're getting pressure to to the quarterback. You know, they, he might send when Chief, when we was there, Chief would send Mayo, you know, and we had that D line and you know the ball coming out in, you know, two seconds, maybe under. So you can really sit on the route. But I feel like most of the time Chief had us at man-to-man. -man. <laughs> yeah, he, he wouldn't play in a bunch of zone. He wanted to press press it up and bring a little A-gap blitz, right? <laughs> little bear mic shoot from Coach Chavis was what was coming, right? <laughs> um, all the time. All the – absolutely all the time. The game's different, though, than when you played, Jonathan, with the, with the emergence of the RPO game, mm -hmm. with the emergence of mo mobile quarterbacks – more willing to use their feet than, than you saw when you played. There was some of that when you were playing, but it's different now. How much harder do you think the cornerback position is now in the college game than it was when you played? Or is it, or is it that much different? I mean, I, I don't think it's much different. To me, I feel like DBs are the best athletes on the field because they don't know where, where the ball is going. You know, you, you're checking the man, man, to man. You're pretty much watching hips. And like my brother-in-law was saying the other day, like you, you guys have the hardest job because you don't know what's going on. So I think it's still pretty much the same. You got a whole lot more, um, I guess, uh, the uh, offensive coordinators that's, that's trying to trick trick their eyes. You know, so if they're in the zone, there's more of that going on. You know, you, you never really know what's what's really going to happen. So, I mean, you just if, if to me, if you're a DB and, and you're playing college ball right now, you should love to play man-to-man -man because you can lock in and let everything else happen for itself. Jonathan, is that why, and I say this with, with respect, okay, is that why DBs are the most confident guys out there on the field, the ones that are always talking smack, always celebrating after every play, because of what you just said. You you have to be the best athlete on the field because you're already at a disadvantage. You have the toughest job most of the time. Mm -hmm. Is that where that confidence come from, comes from? Um, I think so. I mean, for me, I, I didn't – I don't think I found my confidence until, like, my sophomore year in college. Like everything else was, I was just out. I felt like my freshman year, I was just out there playing and running around with my head cut off. But like we, once you find that confidence, I think when I got to like the CFL, that's when I turned into a whole different person and I became a madman. So like, I feel like you have to be a madman now to play, you know, DB and to really have that swagger. It's, it's the next play. You might get beat for a 10 yard out. Okay. Well, you come back the next play, you might get a pick six. So that's what I'm looking for, like, and that's what I like to see in the DBs, how much fight they have, how much willingness to tackle, you know, because I love a DB that's going to make a tackle and make a stop and, and set a play up for like a third and four. So that's where I see it at. 
another question kind of on confidence uh when you have cornerbacks playing up press and they might not be in man maybe they're bailing a little bit but you know oftentimes we see cornerbacks will stay with the receiver before bailing out you know maybe five ten yards down the field some mm-hmm. will bail out you know quicker and and longer and the others will stay with the receiver a little bit more is that a confidence thing i know sometimes it's coaching and everything but just in terms of bailing out giving as much cushion as you are is that one thing to where when you're kind of feeling yourself when things are going well you'll 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 hang around a little bit longer but if something bad happens you want to get back to make sure you keep everything in front of you i feel like like if you see it depends on what what the schemes are too like if you see guys like bella now I, it, it could be cover three or it could be, you know, they may not be on, may not be comfortable on that play. But the ones that you see pressing up all the time and and that's that's in somebody's face all the time, them the ones that mostly has all of the swagger and that's not scared to get beat. And probably they can run the four threes too. <laughs> Jonathan, you mentioned it took you to your sophomore year in college to, to kind of get some confidence and get comfortable. I mean, that surprises me a little bit because you played right out of the gate. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you started every game but one your freshman or your first year at, at Tennessee once you came from prep school. Yeah. Uh, what was the challenge? What was the adjustment? And do you think the corner position is the hardest adjustment to make from high school to college uh, or even from prep school to college because of how more how much more sophisticated offenses are at the college level compared to high school? I could say, like, for me in high school, it was – it was nothing like by the time my senior year hit, I hadn't started like 45 games. So I felt like I was the old guy. I know one uh, coach from Gaffney was saying, man, it seemed like you've been here for like five, six years. So, you know, coming from prep school, I had a lot of confidence. And I think the Florida game kind of broke my confidence because I got beat for like 80, 80 yard touchdown. But as the season went on, you know, some of the older guys, they kind of brought me along and they helped me out. And it, and it seemed like that once, like, you know, once we got to the meat of the schedule, I was really confident in what I was doing. You know, I ran a punt back my first game, and they called right. it. And I looked at the video with my nephew the other day, and I don't remember running that at all. <laughs> no memory. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's – I mean, it, it was it was a blessing just to be at Tennessee, you know, and then to see 100,000. So, like, when y'all was asking me earlier about how it felt like, I felt like that was – it was 10 times better than when I was there. We had 116,000 in 04, and it just – I felt like that atmosphere was way better. <laughs> Is that because because you weren't – I mean, you were just soaking it in, whereas a player, you, you got you got to block it out the, the, the best you can. I mean, you, you got a job to do. Is, is that – you think that's why it felt different for you? As a player, everybody was a blur. I seen nothing as a player. Like, I could see everything at the game. And, you know, we had a little bit of drinks involved, so I was feeling myself, too. So, like, <laughs> I had a good time. Like, I had a good time. But I kept on saying, I said, all I got to do is get my nephew down here. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know, it, it's nothing like Tennessee. And my daughter's down here, down in Knoxville. So, I love, I love to be there. And that's my second home. All right, I gotta, I gotta ask you this one. Uh, it may be a blur to you, but do, do you remember the '05 trip to Baton Rouge, the overtime win? You had the interception and, and started that second half comeback. But do you remember the everything leading up to that game and and how bizarre? I mean, how confused were you guys during the week on where the game was playing, what you were doing? I mean, you end up traveling day of. I mean, it's one of the crazier just getting to the game and then the game itself was crazy. What do you remember about that week in that game, Jonathan? Um, I remember, you know, we, 
once the, we, was, we was getting closer to the game, you know, all, all, everything that happened, we ended up staying in the hotel. So we stayed in the hotel in Knoxville, I think, uh, for like a day or so. And then we ended up flying there. And I, I mean, for me, pretty much before the game, that was a blur because, um, you know, I ended up finding out that I was having a kid that same week. So everything then was a blur for me. <laughs> but like just leading up to the game, we never we didn't know what we was what we was going to do if we was going to play the game or not play the game. And then once we got there, it was on for the game. And I remember just walking out on that stadium. That was my first time playing LSU, a first time playing. And, you know, they was coming off, of, uh, I think, the national championship or something, uh, or like a year or two before. So, you know, that was big time. And you're hearing all the names, and they got the Tiger on the side right when you walk out. So, like, it was, it was crazy. Like, the first half, how they jumped out there on us. And it was like everything, you know, the momentum was all with them. And then it all shifted. You know, it just shifted on the dime in that second half. And I ended up making a play, um, making a play on Jamarcus Russell, which is crazy to me, a number one overall pick. So, like, I ended up making a play on him and taking the ball, you know, back to the five. I got a picture of it in my garage um, where I was diving in the end zone. And, um, well, trying to get in the end zone, ended up landing on the five. I think I jumped from, like, the seven. (laughs) (laughs) And and just remember that. And I remember getting up and Kevin Simon knocking me back down. And the guys just getting hype. I'm running on the sideline, throwing up my Rock Hill sign so all my people back home can see me. And, I mean, it was just an incredible game for us to make that comeback. And all the guys from Louisiana, we always celebrated. We took the, the Tennessee pole and stuck it in the ground, the guys from Louisiana. And, and getting back to Knoxville and everybody was still up partying with us when we got back home. Like, it was that was crazy. That was a crazy night. Hey Jonathan, there's been there's been change, you know. There's been quite a few change changes since you you know, left Tennessee as a player. Oh, yeah. um, a couple of different coaches, different administrations. Josh Hopple coming in with Danny White. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee turning turning the tide a little bit last year and off to a four zero start this year. What do you like about this regime, this coaching staff, the way they play football, and how difficult as, as a bonus, real quick? How difficult would it have been to have played cornerback or safety against an offense like Josh Hopple? Oh man, I I watch <laughs> I watch that I watch that offense and I'm so impressed because it seemed like every four, three, four, five seconds they are right back to the next play. It's like a track meet. It's a legit track meet, and I can I see that as in the CFL too because CFL was like a track meet. Three downs, everything was going super fast for me, and I only can imagine how like the guys has to they have to be in shape. The ones that's not playing can't be, either can't be in shape or, you know, other 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 guys are just that better. But how they run their schemes, man, and how their offense is going, they, they, they're giving a good mix of run and pass. Our quarterback is playing lights out. He's from North Carolina, so I give love to him because it's North Carolina and South Carolina, right? He's from some North Carolina, right? Yep, yep. he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember hearing that. So, you know, I love the guys from North Carolina South Carolina, but everything that the guys are doing right now, man, they bringing in recruits, man. They're out there recruiting hard. They want to win. You know, it, it seems like it's no nonsense, man. And at the same time, they're having a good time. And, you know, once you win and everything starts rolling, man, you can get everything rolling and, and get more guys to come in to, to experience Tennessee, man. It's nothing like the University of Tennessee. I try to tell everybody this. <laughs> so I, I, I enjoy, you know, coming back to the games. I enjoy what they're doing. You know, I still know some of the guys that are still in the equipment room, so I love those guys to come back and see all those guys. And, man, it's it's just a blessing. My only wish is that I can get my nephew. He's 13 now, right? <laughs> and I talk about him on my Twitter page, man. Listen, 
it's it, to me it's scary. He's 13. He's already like five nine, like one sixty five. Play quarterback, <laughs> and he happened to run it. He happened to see Hendon Hooker last week. And that's all he's been talking about all week. I say, I love it. So <laughs> I'm praying on it and I'm going to try to, you know, see what I can do as far as like, if he just stay healthy and get talented, his dad played for the university of South Carolina. So he got, he got it on both sides and man, y'all get a chance to watch my Twitter, see some of the runs and the passes he's throwing already. So. <laughs> all right. Throw your Twitter pre- handle out there. What's your Twitter pre- handle? Uh, my man, what is it? I think it's L Hefney five. L Hefney five. Um, all right. Instagram. It's L. Hefney, L. Hefe Andretti, 23. You can put my name in, Jonathan Hefney. Y'all can find me. I got multiple highlights of my nephew because I want to get him out there. He has to be seen. And I got to get him in the orange. All right. I got you. Hey, hey, Matthew, pull that picture back up that you had a second ago. Is this the one you got in your garage? Because, I'm Jonathan, it, it looks like there's no reason for you to dive. Now, I want to tell everybody who don't remember the game, okay, to the left of the of the official, there is an LSU player there. He had her, Jonathan had a reason uh, to dive on, on that night on, on that pick because it was, uh, it was Jamarcus Russell. I'm trying was, to see if I can flip my screen around. Hold yeah, on, it, it, it was, way I got it right here. You got it. It was Jamarcus Russell. He, that's exactly right. That's the sideline view of it on what might have been the hottest night. In Baton Rouge. I mean, I'm telling you, it was so humid and so hot that night in Tennessee with the big-time win. Hey, Jonathan, listen, man, it's great catching up with you. Uh, We certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for your insight on the cornerback position, and thanks for sharing what your thoughts are on on where the Tennessee program is going. And uh, we'll see if the Vols can get it done Saturday night in Baton Rouge against the LSU Tigers. Great to see you. Great to catch up with you, man. Guys, man, I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. All right, we'll catch All right, we'll catch up to you soon. Jonathan Hefney, the pride of Rock Hill, South Carolina, big-time special teams guy, a good football player. Quick story on that 05 game, and then we got to get to to a quick break. But um, they were working – that was the Katrina game. They're working on the stadium. The press box is not really done. We had to build our own broadcast table out of a sheet of plywood and cinder blocks. And Coach Fulmer told us to bring a cinder block home with us. So – Tim Barry and I are pushing equipment out of that stadium uh, and going around to the bus. And we got a big cinder block on there because um, I ruined a pair of pants, a shirt, and a tie that night building a broadcast table to to call a football game. Uh, But that was a strange night and obviously an unbelievable win in overtime, 30 to 27. Yeah. Yeah. What a memory, obviously, talking about it 20, almost 20 years later. So without a doubt, great stuff there. From Jonathan Hefty. All right, let's learn about this version of the LSU Tigers from the Bengal Tiger himself. Shay Shay Dixon will join us next on the Rocky Top Rewind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Well, it's going to be the 4-0 and Tennessee Volunteers traveling to the Bayou to take on the 4-1 and uh, the four and one LSU Tigers and Shay Dixon of the Bengal Tiger going to join us here in just a moment. Oh, right now, Shay, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for joining hey. us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Thanks for having me, Eric. How are you, Brent? I'm doing good, Shay. Hope you're doing well. And um, let's jump right into it. What 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 is Shay Dixon's take on this LSU football team after they rally for a win against Auburn, rally for a win against Mississippi State? Um, what's your take on where this team is right now, Shay? Yeah, and look, rallied to nearly go to overtime with Florida State, missed an yep. extra point in the final, oh, not final seconds, no time left on the clock uh, in week one. So five total games. They played Southern University here in Baton Rouge, first time they played in HBCU in week two, uh, and then they played New Mexico. So let's throw those two games out. Florida State, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU started, I think they combined for three points in the first quarter of all of those games. So they start incredibly slow. And that's been a recurring theme now across uh, the three, you know, teams they've played that, that have a pulse, you know, or are on their level uh, of playing in the SEC West or, or high level football. So they <clears throat> kudos. This team will fight. Like if we saw it on the Plains, we saw it here in Baton Rouge against State. Um Went down 13-0, went down 17-0, won both of those games. So they'll battle, but uh, I think just kind of right out of the gates, when you look at this team, it's clear that they took more transfers than anyone in college football, that they replaced every single coach on the staff minus one, the offensive line coach, that they've got a new head coach, a new defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, strength staff. I mean, everything is new. And you can tell they're kind of putting that together and figuring out who they are, not just week to week, but often quarter to quarter and half to half. And uh, certainly by far uh, their biggest test is coming up next weekend. Shay, you mentioned this team will fight. And again, that's evident. You lose by missing a PAT in the opening week and you respond. I know you mentioned Southern, but you respond in a good way. You knock off an SEC team two weeks later. And then here this past weekend, you're down 17 nothing and you come crawling back, and you win this football game, you know, new coaching staff, how are they adapting to the new culture set in by, from Brian Kelly, the, the the coaching styles of of this staff? It looks like they're buying in because of that fighting mentality. I, uh, I like how you put that, Erica. Crawling back into that game is about how to describe what happened uh, between LSU and Auburn. And Look, I watched Auburn play Missouri the week prior, so I've seen two weeks of Auburn football in a row. It's not a great product. So for LSU to, to have to come crawling back in that game, uh, I think just speaks to road atmosphere in the SEC and and everything like that. But, Eric, I think the biggest thing we've seen, and Brian Kelly's talked about this, is the buy-in is there. Like, when you – like, everyone on the roster that wasn't a transfer portal guy got recruited by Coach O, you know, and the prior staff, and they were close with their position coaches. Well – when you have a new head coach come in that you know nothing about, half these, you know, 90% of LSU's roster wasn't really recruited by Notre Dame. You know, never, nobody was down to Notre Dame and LSU, not really many of them. So nobody knew Brian Kelly. Nobody knew what he wanted. And when you come in and you strip everything off the walls and you put all your signage up and you've got whatever your playbooks are, toss them out. We've got new ones. Uh, whatever the motto is of how y'all structure practice to class, doesn't matter anymore. We're doing it a different way. 
that takes some real offseason buy-in. And this is a team that after 2019, where you can argue maybe certainly one of the best college football single seasons of all time and, and teams of all time, they went back-to-back 500 seasons, which was the reason Orgeron got let go. But there was so much internal strife uh, during that time. And <clears throat> look, y'all have covered – Y'all have covered multiple coaches where you could talk about internal <laughs> strife and how it's how it's ripping apart the team and whatever. So like it came to the reality, I think to Scott Woodward, the AD, that this isn't going in the right direction. Uh, guys were opting out left and right. The transfer portal heats up. Guys are leaving. Uh, so they go out and get Brian Kelly. I didn't I could have named you 50 coaches I thought were in the running. Brian Kelly wouldn't have been one of them. Like I know we were in this one year, it seemed like Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly, but not often are coaches leaving well-established big programs to go coach at other well-established big programs. Like that just doesn't happen a lot. So I think a lot of guys were skeptical, like, okay, this guy's coming in, he's one, but he's a lot different than us. He's never coached in the South before. Uh, and everybody worried guys about a culture fit. And I said it the whole time, they went back to back 500 seasons and the whole locker room's fighting and you're firing coaches left and right they could use some new culture in that locker room. And I think they got it because now you look at it, guys aren't popping up left and right of they're suspended for this week, but we can't really tell you why. And uh, it seems like academics are a much bigger priority. And for LSU often, I'm not saying this ain't the Harvard of the South, but you don't want to have to go through a season where look, John Emery two years ago, sat out there last year, set up the entire season on an academic suspension. He's a starting running back. So I think a lot of that got cleaned up and they're really just building a base level of what they want this program to be, which is really rooted in accountability and whatever the wins losses look like this year, it's, it's kind of uh, just a product of, of more of a long-term investment. Shay, when I, when I look at this team offensively, it's, it's like there, there's moments where it all comes together and it clicks, you know, in Brian Kelly's system and it looks really good. And then they have moments where it's kind of like they're still grasping it and trying to figure it out. But Jaden Daniels is a guy who makes plays and, and, and will figure out a way to make plays. Where is he health-wise? Where do you see this offense growing as you get into the back half of the season here? Brent, I need you to come post on my message board because I every. The, the posters seem to hate it and think everything is going wrong for them on offense. So thank you for the positivity, Brent. Uh, well, don't you, but don't you think at times that, you know, that there'll be a drive that they put together where you're like, this is no what doubt. it's supposed to look like. And then they may go a quarter where they don't have another one, but there's times where it, it, it fits. You can tell that they start to grasp it. They just haven't done it consistently from what I've seen. Right. And I think Jaden Daniels experience helps that. Right. I mean, he started, he showed up on campus with 30 plus starts under his belt. So you got a guy who at least the moment was never going to be too big for him. He's not going to be rattled. Is he Hendon Hooker? Is he some elite SEC quarterback? I don't think anybody would say that. But again, as you build the foundation for Kelly, he's someone that can get you through this year, right? So I think the one thing LSU fans are watching right now, look, you've got Kayshawn Boutte, Malik, I mean, Keishon Butte at Auburn had two targets, one catch, four yards. And it wasn't that Auburn was, you know, blanketing him all night. It's just sometimes in this past game, Daniels can get a little, um, I guess, quick with the decision of, hey, I made a read or two and now I'm tucking it and running it. 
pass pro isn't that great. They've kind of started a makeshift O-line every week. They haven't really had any consistency there as they try to find the best five. And then at running back, it's kind of been a committee thing. They just got John Emery back. I talked about that suspension that poured into this year with academics. So um, they don't have like a bell cow there. Everybody kind of splits reps at running back. But I think that people are curious, LSU fans, uh, and Brian Kelly has worked with Mike Denbrock, the OC, before. He was at Cincinnati this past year and had been there for a couple of seasons in Cincinnati with Desmond Ritter. Had some good offenses. So you thought, okay, this will work. But a lot of what they like to do are like two tight end sets. They're throwing a lot to the tight end, throwing it to the running back. And I don't think at Notre Dame, in fact, I know this, at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly never had a receiver room like he's going to have almost every year at LSU. So how do you balance that with what they want to do offensively, which right now LSU basically has no tight ends. They have like one, no, two that were scholarship tight ends at any point ever. One is a true freshman. And he leads the team in targets, Mason Taylor. It's actually Jason Taylor, the Hall of Famer's son uh, out of Florida. He leads him in targets every game, seven, eight targets. He wasn't getting half that in high school. So a lot of people kind of feel like they're trying to fit all of LSU's pieces into what they want to do, which might be fine. Um, but I think it kind of makes for some head-scratching moments offensively. Defense is great. Offense, you kind of still wonder, man, this – they don't seem to have an identity. And if this is the identity, they're not very good at executing it routinely at all. Yeah. Shay, you kind of mentioned it right there. Last thing we have for you. Tell us about that defense. Um, it, it starts up front getting after the quarterback, BJ Ojolari, one time a Tennessee football commit, um, you get after the quarterback, but who else, what's going well and why is it going well uh, for LSU's defense? What can Tennessee expect? Yeah. I'm not sure how much a neutral fan is going to have fun watching the LSU offense versus Tennessee defense, but Tennessee's offense versus LSU's defense should be good, uh, entertaining football. I mean, Tennessee's got right now what statistically the best offense in the SEC. Uh, LSU has looked really sound. I mean, they held Mike Leach to 16 points, and they went up 13-0 in that game. They only scored a field goal between about the middle of the second quarter on. So they've adjusted really well in games. They had a couple busted plays at Auburn that Auburn gets up 17-0 early. Don't give up another point. Auburn really never even gets, you know, once into the red zone from there. It's, a, like I said, adjustments on the fly. The defensive coordinator, Matt House, who had been at Kentucky as the defensive coordinator uh, for a little stretch before he went to the NFL. Uh, so he's got experience in the SEC. He knows how to, how to call games at this level, and it shows. And they've got talent all over. Look, they lost Mason Smith, who defensive lineman, on the first play of the first defensive series of the season – uh, to a torn ACL when he was celebrating a play another teammate had made <clears throat> this. And still they seem to just keep clicking and every week. They look a little bit better there. So Ojolari, obviously you mentioned the guy to watch. Um, I think that Harold Perkins, a five-star freshman they signed is every week playing a little bit more and more. He's been really good. And I questioned this approach and I didn't know if it would work, but their DBs, and this will be the storyline to watch this week. Uh, LSU's DBs largely beyond Jay Ward, who's been here for four years, probably are transfers. Greg Brooks came from Arkansas. Joe Fusha came from Arkansas. Uh, then at corner, Colby Richardson was at McNeese. Makai Garner was here at UL over in Lafayette with Billy Napier. Uh, Jared Bernard Converse was Oklahoma State. So I just wondered, okay, you're literally grabbed like six or seven guys from different levels of football from all over the country and you expect that to work 
against some of the best passing teams in the country. And they did well against state. Now state is at Tennessee. It's a different brand of football of what they want to do. For me, this game really <clears throat> will give us a glimpse into how good LSU's defense is, how good the secondary is, because um, we know that Tennessee can move the football. We know they can throw it. Uh, Hooker's one of the best. So uh, that's, that's what I'm excited about. I think that Tennessee offense versus LSU defense is a storyline this weekend. And, and if you want to kind of put the microscope uh, a little bit more into focus, I think it's how Tennessee's receivers and, and pretty much the passing game in general uh, test the LSU defensive backs, which, again, have played well, but this isn't like a bunch of what you're used to, Derek Stingley's and guys like that running around out there who got recruited to LSU, got developed, and are now in year two or three. Uh, it's a complete patchwork to make a roster work, guys. They got beat by Kansas State in the bowl game last year with 39 scholarship players. So yeah. this isn't the LSU team you're going to be used to seeing, and that's great news for Tennessee. Hey, I'll tell you, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'll take that in the 11 a.m. kickoff, and I've got no complaints. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Yeah, the 11 a.m. kickoff is not a bad thing for Tennessee at all. Shay, hey, listen, man, we appreciate the time. I know the other storyline you're going to be following all week long is Jaden Daniels and all the updates on whether or not he's going to go or not go, what his health looks like. Yeah. Sounds like he's probably going to be all right. I think he'll be good. Yeah, sorry to answer that. He, he banged his knee onto somebody at the end of the game, and he was limping to the point where – Brian Kelly basically said after, like, look, if his biggest tool, like 60% of what he does is run the football. So if he can't run, then they put in Garrett Nussmeyer, the backup, and let him kind of go from there. And they just handed it off and ran it out. But uh, I would imagine he's getting treatment, staying off it. And uh, I've heard nothing to indicate that he won't suit up and, and be ready for next weekend. Hey, Shay, man, we appreciate it. Good luck this week with all the coverage. We'll be looking forward to reading it. We'll catch up to you in Baton Rouge, my man. Absolutely. I look forward to seeing y'all get down here safe. All the Tennessee fans travel safe and have a fun time. All right. Thanks, Shay. We appreciate it. Shay Dixon covering the LSU Tigers for On3. Does a fantastic job. You want to find out about the opponent this week, Eric, need to check him out and, and follow him closely there at, on, at his site there with the LSU coverage at On3. Yep, that site called the Bengal Tiger. Tiger, Check it out this week as you gear up for Tennessee and LSU. We're going to gear up for a final little rundown here. The Rocket Top Rewind. Awesome Price will join us next. We'll go back into the Rocky Top Rewind. Eric Kane, Brent Hubs, and now Austin Price, fresh back from California. Austin, what's up, dude? What's up? And uh, I love the countdown. Do a little be, wrinkle here be, on the Rocky Top Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you were out on the West Coast, a uh, little family vacation, but while you were out there, had a chance to uh, stop by and check out Nico. Five touchdowns 
in the first half. Josh Heupel, Joey Halsey in attendance as well. Yeah, you know, I thought Nico played well. Um, you know, he talked about it in our interview after the game, missed a couple of throws, but on the whole, you know, I thought it was, you know, knocking some rust off. Remember, he missed the game before it before the bye week. So he had the bye week, which was the same week as Florida for Tennessee. Before that, he missed that previous game because he had, uh, you know, got kind of cheap shot by an opponent the week before. And uh, so he was back and ready to go, and they rolled 54-7, to and they've got their big rival game coming up in a couple of weeks against Downey, which is uh, the same – uh, in the same little city there in Downey, California, which is just outside of Long Beach, uh, you know, just uh, southeast of L.A. And, and people, when you watch Nico and you've seen him throw it, you've seen him throw seven on sevens. When, when you look at him now where he was six, eight months ago, I know you said he was knocking off Russ. For for fans who uh, haven't seen him a whole lot or, or maybe haven't just watched a few highlights here and there, what, what do you – what do you like about his game? What, what do you think stands out most about what he does at the quarterback position? Big arm, quick release. Uh, you know, I, I love his quick release. Um, you know, I, obviously everybody will point out that, you know, he's got that little spin move, you know, that like, you know, where he spins out of pressure and, you know, he, he's definitely mobile, but uh, just a quick release. He gets it out of his hands quick. Um, any of those, you know, kind of RPO quick slant game and he, you know, he brings it out humming. And so for me, that's kind of where I'm at is, uh, you know, just the quick release. I mean, he can throw it a country mile, big arm. He's not Joe Milton country mile, but I mean, he's as good as anybody else in this class of quarterbacks, which is really, really good um, as far as arm strength, but it's just the quick release. It comes out of his hand really, really fast. All right. A couple other high, what are a couple other highlights going on in recruiting right now that, that, that you're keeping close tab on moving forward? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, from the 24s, it's Mazio Bennett. You know, he dropped out his top eight October 1st. Um, we expect him to, uh, you know, pull the trigger sometime mid-October, um, you know, uh, around October 16th. And uh, I think Tennessee's in a great spot there, Brent. And uh, as far as 23s, you know, it's just, you know, kind of see where they are. Aiden Williams, receiver. Alex Golish was by there to see him on Friday. That's someone that Tennessee – was in on, kind of cooled on, and was picked up the you know the pressure again on. Um, he's committed to Ole Miss, uh, but I, I think he's gettable. And um, you know, uh, if you're a wide receiver in this offense, why not, right? Um, although you know they throw it around at Ole Miss too, but I mean, obviously the lingers. The question is going to linger. You know, how long's Hypo or not Hypo, but uh, how long's Lane going to be at Ole Miss? Um, you know, he'll be a target at Auburn along with Dion and. You know, Hugh Freeze and several others, when that job eventually comes open, uh, I mean, gosh, we're at five now with, with Paul Chris getting let go earlier tonight at Wisconsin. It's crazy. I mean, he won nine games a year ago, and, you know, Chris Lowe put out a tweet and compared it to when Philip Fulmer was fired as far as, like, alma mater, won more than 70% of his games coming off. You know, Philip won 10 in 2007. He lost, you know, he, you know in 2009, just, you know, very similar. I agree with that. Um you know, David Hobbs is one to me. We'll talk about him every week. He's the biggest recruit on the board because he plays the interior defensive line. You know, he visited Ohio State after they offered, and he went on up to Michigan today. Um, since he was up that way, I still don't. I still don't see him going to the Big Ten. I still think he's going to be Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, one of those three. Um, you know, and so you know, maybe Ohio State can slide into the picture. But to me, like his relationships in Knoxville and Tuscaloosa and, and really Athens too. Are, are ones that are going to be a more long-term uh, than the Ohio State ones. And then, you know, what else does Tennessee do along the defensive line? Keldrick Falk 
always just seemed kind of just like a forced relationship there for whatever reason. I don't know. It just, just it's not it's not as easy. Uh, you know, you can see the David Hobbs relationships with Tennessee. Falk, it just feels like, you know, it's just different. I don't know how to, to describe it. It's just something I it comes across to me. Um, you know, but, I mean, Tennessee's in a good spot with a lot of 24s and a lot of 25s coming off last weekend. They should, right? I mean, how do you mess up a win and that atmosphere? Austin, two positions to where you could potentially look at the transfer portal after the season's over, but offensive line, Bison yeah. Lang, official visit a couple weeks ago. What's the status there? And then uh, who else on the offensive line, names-wise? And a running back, Tennessee's trying to add another running back. Khalifa Keith, currently a Kentucky commit. Tennessee hasn't offered yet. Could see that happening. Uh, you know, his name, Deshaun Bishop. What else at running back? Yeah, I mean, we'll start with the offensive line. Vice Lane going to commit November 8th. I think Tennessee's, you know, the trendy pick there. I think they're in the best position to land him as of now. Um, Tennessee went out and evaluated Elijah Page. A lot of people peg him for USC or Notre Dame. Um, you know, when looking at his recruitment, kid out of Arizona. Tennessee's trying to swing there, and we'll see what happens. You know, this, with Michigan State struggling, does Stanton Ramil, you know, take a look around? You know, kind of like Tamarion Parker did. You know, commits to a Big Ten school, but the you know further you get away from committing, how much does that change? As for running backs, I, I think Tennessee wants to go with bigger backs. I mean, Khalif, Khalifa Keith. Is, is one that, you know, I, I think Tennessee would love to land. Uh, I, I think they'll offer in the next couple of weeks. I think they will go see him play uh, live and in person probably sometime in the next two weeks. And at that point, I think you'll probably see them pull the trigger and then they'll see if they can uh, swing him from Kentucky to Tennessee um, as far as on the commitment list. So, you know, uh, Deshaun Bishop's one that I think you, you still evaluate long term. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody's knocking down his door that you're not competing against anyone for him. If you go flip him, you're just flipping him from Coastal Carolina. I think you know Keith Kidd is much more of a uh, a tall task because you're trying to flip him from another SEC school, but I do think it's very doable. You know, the Alabama game shaping up to be a monster weekend. Of course, Tennessee goes down to LSU first, but uh, a number of these names we just mentioned probably going to make a return trip or you know a trip to Knoxville for the first time this season. Who were some of those early names, and, and what are we – what should we expect from that Alabama weekend recruiting was? Well, I think you'll, you know, the Tennessee will obviously try to get Falk back up here. They'll try to get Tamarian Parker to come in. Um, you know, a lot of it depends on, you know, what these kids have as far as like, you know, do they have other obligations? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, they'll try to get Khalifa Keith to come back in as well. Like, why not? And they came in unofficially for the Florida game. Why not try to bring him back up? He's an Alabama kid um makes some sense and uh and i think there's some potential there to maybe try to get him to come back in town i'm interested to see if aiden williams shows up um that weekend and does anybody that tennessee went and saw like you know elijah page um on friday night do, do they give tennessee a look and that includes aiden williams elijah page you know going the juco route when, when do they get elijah davis in here for a visit he continues to tell tennessee he plans on visiting that you're competing against Alabama for him. I, Tennessee's not going to bring in Arion Carter that weekend. He's going to visit for the Kentucky game. Um, so I think that's a win considering Alabama is one of the top schools for him. And, you know, I don't think you want to bring him in when you're playing the Tide. No, probably not. Here's the other thing, too, that's interesting to me, Austin. You've talked about this. We've talked about it on our podcast and everything else. The belief that December is just going to be wild with, with, with guys moving around everywhere via the transfer portal. You got yeah. five you got five power five openings right now. <laughs> how much how much are kids 
starting, you think going to start reaching out to other schools at those power five places? How much is our schools like Tennessee spending hours looking at not just com guys committed to those schools, but their entire roster because of the movement that might take place in December? Well, I think you have to, right? I mean, you know, I've always said like Arian Carter to me is very important to Tennessee because you just never know if Georgia were to lose one of their guys, do they come after Jalen Smith? Look at Auburn. If they go out and hire the right guy and get a little bit of buzz, you know, early December, don't you think they're going to swing at guys like Keldrick Falk, who's from their state, who's committed to Florida State, Sylvester Smith from their state, committed to Tennessee? Like, you know, the right guy there could potentially get some wins, um, you know, in recruiting um, pretty quick if kids just truly want to stay home, Brent. So, you know, I, I think it's very important to kind of, you know, watch how this plays out. And I think it's important for your current players to be, you know, talking to buddies they know that are at places that may have some change or have already seen change because, you know, we all know that goes on. It's a, again, like, it's like faking an injury during a, going against an up-tempo team. It's a legal way of, of trying to recruit guys through your own players. I mean, every, every school does it. I mean, you know, so I, I think ultimately, you know, that's going to be a big thing is right now is kind of identifying schools that may have some change or already have had change, players at those schools that could potentially enter the transfer portal and go on from there. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Recruiting never stops and uh, continual coverage over at VolQuest.com. Recruiting and football throughout the week, right? Yep, that's right. One dollar for one year, Eric. You, it's not going to last forever. $1 for one year. Jump on it while last it lasts. Also, like this video. Let's help it get 500 likes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the VolQuest channel on YouTube. But mo most importantly, as Austin said, $1 for one year. Join it while it's hot. Hey, Tennessee and LSU, continual coverage. Previewing that matchup all week long at VolQuest.com. Big thanks to Jonathan Hefney and Shay Dixon for joining the show today. And, of course, Austin Price. We will do it again next week. Same time, same place, 8 o'clock on Sunday for the Rocky Top Rewind. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.